Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Drill to Detail. I'm actually at the uh, at the uh, UK OUG Tech 16 conference in uh, in Birmingham, and I'm actually in the hotel room of Tanel Poda, who um, who many of you, most of you probably will know uh, from his background in kind of Oracle work and so on there. But he's now uh, started his own startup called Gluent, and uh, and Tanel is going to talk to me today about what Gluent is, what the story is, and express some of these sort of views for the future. So Tanel, great to see you again. Yeah, great to see you, Mark, as well. And hi, everybody. Hello. So, Tanel, just for anybody who doesn't know you, just a little bit of background as to what you've been doing in the past, really, and uh, and how you got to kind of this position. Yeah, so by now I call myself a long-term computer performance geek, right? And, uh, and uh, more like 25 years ago or something, I was already working on Unix, even though I was in high school or somewhere back then. And um, then I got introduced to Oracle, and I immediately liked it because of its sophistication and for the last 20 years I've done Oracle stuff right and um, and for the last 10 or more years of that I've been a uh, I used to be a consultant and I flew around the world I helped customers with some of their biggest and baddest Oracle databases I troubleshooted them I, I fixed performance issues and I gave them general advice how do you how do you make Oracle better uh, but in the last two years or so I've been running to it Okay, so so most people know you, or a lot of people know you from the Oracle background. But I, I've seen some of your presentations recently, and 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 things you've written, and you're kind of quite into Hadoop now and big data. So what was the kind of what spurred your interest there, and why why did you get interested in that sort of area? Yeah, I, I, I guess the, the the longer story or the backstory is that <clears throat> that uh, you know, like seven years ago, if you asked me, hey, I have this data, is it the relational data, is it images, or is it videos, whatever. Um, where should, should I put it? Then, then often my answer, or mostly my answer, was put it in Oracle because Oracle was the best data management system for so many things, right? People even put images in there and stuff like that, right? Uh, but um, about three years ago, I saw this, uh, so this thing called Hadoop. I mean, I knew about Hadoop, I knew about Google's MapReduce, but it was always uh, something what Yahoo would use on their weblogs or Google would use and so on. Um, but about three years ago, I saw a SQL engine called Impala, built by Cloudera and open sourced uh, by now. And that was a proper C++-based, daemon-based uh, SQL engine. And uh, that was the first thing, but first indication that, hey, this Hadoop thing seems serious. And the second indication also about three, three years ago was that security showed up, right? So, so a lot of these fancy new systems, uh, which are very, very scalable and, and cheap, they were not enterprise ready, but, but now with this engine called Impala and actual proper security throughout the whole system, uh, I saw that, hey, this, 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 this scalable and cheap thing called Hadoop is going to be ready for enterprises soon. And by today, it's very ready. Okay, so I mean, I, obviously, I had the same thought with the thought as well. You know, you see, you see Hadoop as a kind of the obvious replacement for data warehousing and for kind of a lot of the work that a database like Oracle would do. So, is your is was your feeling that this is going to completely take over and and replace kind of these kind of old school databases or or, or what really? Um, when I first read about it, and uh, and later on when I researched this whole Hadoop thing more, I saw that it it is great for use cases where you are ingesting and then querying a lot of uh, streams, yeah, events which happen somewhere else, right? Mm. And not transactional data really, right? Mm. And that's where, where you know, I, I think the obvious question here for, for uh, people who also do Oracle is that, that would Hadoop replace Oracle or something like that? Yeah. And, uh, and um, 
as long as we talk about complex transactional systems like ERP systems, mm-hmm. Oracle is the king of that, right? So I, I think even five years from now, years from now, when when big companies build more complex systems where you do complex transactions and then this needs to be completely online all the time, then I think Oracle is the king of that, right? So complex transactional systems, mm-hmm. I mean, I will keep recommending Oracle everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But now everything else, again, events which happen somewhere else, yeah. feeds which come in, um, unstructured data, you know, uh, I, you know, I would be lying if I said that I, I wouldn't think that Hadoop takes over, right? Yeah. Or, you know, now the cat will come out, uh, yeah. we open a can of worms and the, or the cloud backends, right? But that's a different story. Yeah. So, so what's the story behind Gluit then? So I remember, I remember you've done a few things in the past around kind of building products and, and had a few ideas around kind of maybe tuning areas or performance areas and so on. But what was the story around, around Gluit? How did that sort of come about really? Yeah, so that's an interesting uh, was an interesting lesson. So being a performance guy, the, then the obvious first reaction, my reaction was that hey, I gotta build a performance tool for Hadoop, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, then we started talking to some customers and uh, who already were kind of using Hadoop uh, about three years ago, and then some big telcos and banks as well, and. Uh, the idea of a performance tool, like a SQL optimization or general performance or capacity planning tool for Hadoop, it didn't resonate at all. Mm. Nobody cared because nobody even knew what to do with Hadoop, right? Mm. So how do you get how do you you know get the benefit out of Hadoop? And uh, and then we kept talking, and then uh, basically another pattern emer- emerged, and um, it, um, it 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 the other pattern was that hey, our data volumes are growing even more. You know, every year people say that great data volumes are exploding, and yes, they do explode. And the year after, the data mm. volumes explode even more, mm. right? And, and and at the same time, your queries need to run even faster. People want to do things real time and so on. And that's when I saw that the traditional SAN storage base, based uh, tra- transactional databases will mm. will not be able to cope mm. with, uh, with, with the modern requirements. Uh, and, um, and so... However, on the other hand, we knew, I mean, we've been around enough that we, we knew that uh, there is no way that something like Hadoop will take over your entire, mm. you know, application infrastructure and somehow magically all your code gets ported to Hadoop and it, it all works, right? Mm. So, 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 you know, when we started pitching Fluent, so basically the story is that Hadoop is here to stay, but your existing applications or existing databases are not going to go away anytime soon. So mm. both of these worlds are here to stay and somehow you need to glue them together, right? Okay. In a modern enterprise, and that's why the name Gluent. Okay, so so who who was who was with you at the start? What was the kind of the the team at the start, and what was the kind of timeline really for building this out? You know, what did you what kind of core technology did you start with, and what problem did you solve at the start then, really? Yeah, so you now I got to think about like three years back when we when we started thinking about this, and uh, and as I said, uh, what kind of uh, prompted us to do this, or it was was the Impala, you know, built by Cloudera, you know, what uh, was released and. Uh, and um, so, so uh, I have a, 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 a the co-founder of Gluent, uh, Paul Breacher. Uh, we had some startups with, with him before, and mm-hmm. you know, like years ago, we had something called E2SN, where we built a, a that was that was going to ride the virtualization wave, and mm-hmm. we built a data center optimization analysis software, and so on. And then, uh, but yeah, we we we. We built the first prototypes with uh, Paul Breacher, and um, and we used Impala as a backend, backend, and the front end was Oracle. And the, the, the simple use case really was, to, it was a very narrow use case back then, was that you have a data warehouse, which has 
seven years of history, right? And it's too big, it's too expensive, it's too slow because of all this data. Uh, and you have 20,000 reports written mm. on this Oracle-based data warehouse, let's say, right? And uh, um, so there's no way you can rewrite this on this magical new platform, uh, but you don't want to buy more hardware. You mm. don't want to buy more licenses all the time. And you would want your queries to be 10 times faster, right? Mm. So, um, and that's, so the use case, what, what Gluent solved was that, hey, what about putting six and a half years of history out of seven years into Hadoop, right? Because if you have a big data warehouse, um, you know, you have a thousand tables in your schema, mm. maybe only 10 tables are big, right? So, so and mm. what about offloading 90% of these 10 tables to Hadoop and use Hadoop as a, a, a very scalable and powerful extension mm. of your data, data warehouse platform, right? And, and so, so the Gluent, the, the Gluent's glue, um, Gluent will provide this uh, glue between uh, this Hadoop backend and your existing database frontend um, so that you wouldn't have to rewrite your report. So you offload 90% of data away mm. and all your 20,000 reports work as they did yesterday. And actually, they work faster than they did yesterday. Yeah. So, so uh, the funny thing is, over this weekend, that I managed to announce your website earlier than actually the plan you planned to, um, because I that. tweeted it, and, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But one of the things I, I was looking at on there was trying to understand, I suppose, the product architecture. So you talked about you've talked about offloading there. You've talked about kind of you know Impala and so on there. So just kind of paint the picture really as to what are the kind of the components in the McLuhan at the moment, and how does it do? You know, how, how does it do this kind of like you know transfer? allowing you to write Oracle SQL against kind of Hadoop and so on. So what was the, what's the key components, first of all? Yeah, so the key components really are, are three components. In, in one end, you have an Oracle database. Uh, in another end, you have a, a Hadoop cluster with a SQL engine like Impala or Hive on it, because that's what we use for heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. And the third component in between is the, uh, is the Gluent software, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it actually, if you imagine that between these two worlds, Hadoop and Oracle, you have two arrows. One arrow goes towards Oracle and the other arrow goes towards Hadoop, right? Mm. So we, we actually have software for both, right? So we have a, a um, tool set for offloading 90% of your data to Hadoop, mm. the single command, you know, there's mm. no ETL development and so on. Uh, and the other the arrow that goes the other direction is our Gluent Smart Connector. Mm. And that's, that's where most of our secret source uh, Source, yes, <laughs> and secret source code as well, yeah. of course. Uh, so, and that smart connector is now what gives you this transparent uh, access to Hadoop, right? So that uh, when you run a, a, a query in Oracle on this hybrid schema where ninety percent of your data is in Hadoop, then uh, we actually take parts of your execution plan in Oracle. We don't rewrite SQL. <clears throat> we take parts of the execution plan in Oracle, and our smart <clears throat> connector sends these parts of execution plan down to Hadoop. And we use Impala or Hive in Hadoop side, which actually does the heavy lifting, right? Okay. So okay. we don't have our own SQL engine written on Hadoop. There are plenty of SQL engines in yeah. Hadoop and in the cloud, right? We just provide this sort of data virtualization layer between this uh, traditional database frontends and these awesome new backends like Hadoop. So that, that really is where I guess your kind of Oracle heritage comes in really, isn't it? In the fact that you can take, uh, you, you know how Oracle kind of writes SQL, you know how to break it down and so on there. But you've actually talked about extending this now to SQL Server, Teradata and so on. So how, how, how are you extending this idea of doing it from Oracle? To, you know, to, how are you extending the idea from Oracle to these ones as well? How does the technology trans translate? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, you know, first... Uh, <clears throat> 
my Oracle, Oracle experience and Oracle uh, performance and internals experience has helped because you know we know how Oracle works. So uh, so that uh, when we want to build a product which is compatible with Oracle, then you know there was much less trial and error, hmm. right? So we kind of knew that what would work and what would not work and so on when we when we do this integration. So. Uh, uh, so that was uh, that made much things easier, and we built things faster. Um, and now with SQL Server, Teradata, and also Postgres, uh, which is mm. in our plans now because of customer demand. Uh, um, uh, obviously, there are different technologies built by different vendors, but uh, under the hood, uh, fundamentally everything is the same, right? Yeah. And one of the fundamental things is that in all major relational databases. You know, you write SQL, and this gets compiled to an execution plan. Mm -hmm. And the execution plan is a tree of operators, right? Mm -hmm. Some operators read data, some operators join data, some do aggregation, whatever, right? And if you imagine, if you imagine this upside-down tree, that at the top of the tree is the root, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the tree goes wider as it goes down, that then in the in the bottom you have leaves, like in general sort of thing, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and in this, the leaves of the tree are where data access happens, yeah. right? And and we will take the bottom of your the bottom leaves of that tree, mm. and we will offload these leaves to Hadoop, right? Okay. So, so that's how we push some heavy lifting down to Hadoop while piping the result set back to the rest of the tree of the execution plan. Okay. And, and that's how you have 100% compatibility with Oracle or SQL Server because the, uh, the, the, um, the proprietary stuff like PLSQL or you know, mm. some model clause in Oracle, mm. this still happens in Oracle, right? But everything else uh, yeah. happens in Hadoop. So, so how does this compare to say Big Data SQL then, or Polybase, or, or the vendor kind of the vendor initiatives in this area? Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's worth saying exactly that uh, you know, Gluent is not the only one nor the first one mm. who who integrates databases with Hadoop. Um, uh, every big vendor, Oracle has uh, Big Data SQL, mm. Microsoft has Polybase, uh, Teradata has Query Read, IBM has Big SQL. It's actually an interesting story that mm. uh, all these big vendors who supposedly should be pretty threatened, feel pretty threatened by Hadoop, they are mm. actually embracing this enemy of theirs, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. and I guess these guys in these big, big companies, they've all been visionary visionary enough to see that they better jump on the train of Hadoop than yeah. fight it, right? And, yeah. uh, but, you know, specifically how Gluent is different. So there is, you know, obviously there are like many different layers how we are different. Um, um, one major thing really is that we know that every big enterprise or mid-sized enterprise, they don't only have Oracle or they don't only mm -hmm. have SQL Server or only Teradata, right? Mm -hmm. So they have many, many silos by different database vendors, right? And Gluent connects all of them uh, through this Hadoop-based data lake, right? So, so we are not building only an Oracle-specific, Oracle-centric tool like Big Data SQL is mm -hmm. or Teradata-specific, Teradata-centric tool like, like the Query Grid is. So we, we, we want to connect all data to all applications. Okay. Oracle, SQL Server, Postgres, even Sybase, because many banks still have Sybase lying around, right? Okay. Okay, yeah. I mean, I want to get onto that whole topic of, of why, why people might want to do this in time, actually. But one last thing is I noticed you've got something called Gluent Advisor on the website as well that I prematurely announced for you yesterday. <laughs> so you. what's Gluent Advisor then? How does that fit into things? Yeah, so that's an interesting, um, actually a funny story that one of the customers, uh, um, like uh, like a year ago or, or even more, we went to talk to them about offloading and, you know, that you can take 90% of your data and then cut cost and then make things faster and, and so on. 
And um, the customer said, yeah, you know, we have like tens of, you know, that business unit had tens of databases, right? And uh, the owner of this said, hey, man, I don't even know what, what's going on in this databases, right? So, mm. so is, do you guys have a tool which would tell me which databases are offloadable and how offloadable they are? They would be, and uh, we, we of course said that yes, we do. And mm. then I went back to our development team, and they said, hey, "Oh crap, we gotta we gotta build an advisor tool quickly." Mm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and initially it was like a text mode tool and like a script, but uh, but now it has evolved into this uh, you know pretty nice uh, um, graphical tool, uh, which basically you know you just run it; it doesn't install any agents or anything like like that. You just run it, and five minutes later you will see that. If you have a hundred terabyte data warehouse, that eighty terabyte of that data is not modified much, yeah, and it's not really used for random lookups and so on very frequently. Therefore, it's safely offloadable. Right? Yeah, and whatever is not offloadable, because you know sometimes we see that uh, that only forty percent of data can be offloaded, and then we then we ask like you know that's not what we typically see. Hmm. Then you can drill down, and you will actually see that somebody has this crazy batch job, which for some reason goes back five years into history hmm. and modifies everything. <laughs> so yeah. uh, and and so it's it's a tool which gives you an easy overview of of um, you know uh, how much you could shrink your database. Yeah, and it also tells you. Yeah, that if some data is so hot that you cannot shrink it, then you yeah. can actually see who is causing it to, to be so. so. So, what's the criteria then for being offloadable? What, what, what is, is it? Is it data that's only kind of read from, or, or can you know what, what's the criteria to be offloadable by your tool? Like six six months ago, one one of the important aspects was that if data was ever modified, mm -hmm. like even even once per month, yeah, then we then we said it's not offloadable because because our product did not allow. Uh, updates against Hadoop data, mm. right? But this has changed now. So, mm. you, so now we actually allow you even now you can even update data which resides in Hadoop. So you can take your 90 90 yeah. percent of history, uh, put it into Hadoop, drop it from your Oracle database. Mm -hmm. But if you every end of month for once per day, whatever, you still need to go back and update some records. Mm -hmm. Now we support that as well. That's interesting. So, it's interesting. Yeah. So, so now basically we have this uh, configura configurable uh, parameter that will just say that, hey, if you see less than a million modifications per you know week or day or whatever mm -hmm. against the table or against some partitions, we still say that, yep, it's offloadable because okay. you can still do these updates. So that's the main criteria. Okay, and before we get on to the kind of the business of this, really, um, so how how kind of how how extendable or pluggable is that? Because you said you use Impala as the kind of the SQL engine there. What about things like Drill or Presto or stuff like that? It, how much is how much could this in time extend to those those tools as well? Yeah, that was an early architectural decision which uh, has ended up being beautiful there. Um, so I don't want to jump there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Um, we, you know, we see Gluent as a data virtualization um, layer, right? So, and and uh, you have a, a, you know, front ends like Oracle or SQL Server, and then you have back ends like Hadoop. And how we how we get Hadoop to do heavy lifting for us is that we construct SQL. You know, we parse the execution plan. We understand, you know, what the query wants to do, and we construct a SQL statement and we send it to Impala, right? And if the backend happens to be Hive, you know, we added that later. Now we now we are certified on Hortoworks as well, and uh, and then um, uh, you know, if you connect to Hive as a backend, uh, then we just construct a slightly different SQL, right? So uh, supporting Drill will be easy. So mm -hmm. we actually have it working in our lab, so we just haven't mm -hmm. fully certified it yet. And then maybe that's a topic for later. Uh, 
supporting cloud backends yeah. like Google yeah. BigQuery, Amazon Redshift, and Amazon Athena, which was recently announced. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could even support MySQL as a backend if you wanted to. Okay, okay. So let, let's touch on this idea you said earlier on about, you, you, you mentioned a few times that, that Gluin is like data virtualization. Okay. So, so paint the picture really of where you see this starting to be useful for businesses. What, okay, so why would, why would your average business, uh, you know, who's, who's invested in, say, sort of like in what we might call old world technologies, why should they be concerned about data virtualization and I suppose kind of like connecting their applications together? Yeah, so <clears throat> there are, um, I, I think, two main um, topics or two main streams here. One is what, I, what we already talked about, uh, basically cost saving, you know, shrinking your database, putting some stuff into Hadoop, and the data virtualization layer keeps everything transparent, right? So that you still can log into Oracle as you did yesterday. You can still run your, your same PLSQL, your reports as you did yesterday, right? And thanks to this data virtu virtualization layer, uh, transparently we push whatever needs to be pushed down the Hadoop or this backend. So, so, so cost saving, archiving, making databases smaller for performance reasons. Mm. That's that's the first use case where we started from. Um, and that's, uh, this is not the aha moment anymore. Mm. Uh, often we go and start talking about that, these topics with the customer and when there are architects in the room and when we get to the point of that, uh, hey guys, you don't have to use Fluent only for making this one database smaller, um, but you can actually use Fluent with Hadoop as your data sharing platform or a data hub, you know, mm. a, 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 that, um, uh, you could offload data, you could sync data from your 10 SQL Server databases you had you, some Teradata database you had you, and then you could still query the same data in Oracle. And it, all, it looks like the data resides in Oracle. Mm. Actually, in, in Hadoop, all the heavy lifting, all the query processing heavy lifting happens in Hadoop. But how it looks like in your Oracle is it's, it's just a regular, it looks like a regular table to you. Mm. So, so, uh, so, so this is what that what is the aha moment for the architects when they suddenly see that hey, if I have to, if I have like twenty databases in my application constellation, right? So mm. if I have twenty databases, previously I had to create all kinds of data feeds, replication, ETL jobs just to get data from one silo to another silo, right? Mm. Because they want all they all want to use the same data. But now there is a paradigm shift. What about syncing all the data as it's born in mm. your silos? Sync it straight to Hadoop or this or this data hub, right? And Gluent connects this data hub to the rest of the enterprise. Okay, so I've heard that referred to as data fabric before. That's all, is, is that kind of idea that you know data virtualization, data fabric? That's what you're thinking of, really. Yes, that's where it's going. And then uh, I actually I don't use data virtualization that much uh, mm. because it's so, it's so overloaded. It's actually a good point. There are plenty of vendors like even NetApp and so on who talk about data virtualization, while what they really do is storage virtualization. Yeah, you know the problem with storage virtualization is that if you take an Oracle data file or SQL Server data file mm. and you put it into cloud or whatever, mm. then it's still an Oracle data file. It's mm. still in Oracle format, and you have to pay mm. Oracle money to use your own data. So how would this how would this be different then to say tools that they do, do data data federation? Because I mean, I've, I mean, my background in, in in Oracle BI, we had to think with the Oracle BI server that would create its own engine over over kind of different data sources. How would this differ from that kind of thing then, really? Yeah, the data federation—that's yet another um, yeah. topic, and, uh, and 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 obviously, I wouldn't be the CEO of, of, of Fluent if I <laughs> if I wasn't able to say that you know our approach is better, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the data federation tools have been uh, around for a long time, and those guys who have done Oracle and who have run distributed queries over database links, 
they probably know what I'm saying that uh, running distributed queries or federated queries over yeah. uh, DB links, it works very well if you have 10 rows in one database and mm -hmm. 20 rows in, an, in another database, right? Mm -hmm. And you join them together, it's magical, right? But now when you think about the real world, um, in the real modern world, right? And uh, when you want to join a billion rows to uh, two billion rows in another data source, then this will basically never work, right? Because you cannot just keep pulling data between the databases and then just join and throw, throw data away or throw these um, non-surviving non rows away. So, um, you know, I've seen this for years that these this federated queries don't work with large data sets. So you have to be really careful what you can actually run and then what you cannot run, right? So, so, so the federation engine can um, become a bottleneck, right? Um, so the second problem with the, you know, if you think about a separate federation engine, not, not mm -hmm. like Oracle or whatever is, is um, uh, these federation engines have their own SQL engine, yeah. right? So, so then you will end up learning a new SQL dialect and writing apps against this federation engine. So, uh, so, um, so you cannot run your existing Oracle code anymore mm -hmm. and just, just augment it with some big data source, right? So yeah. you have to use a separate engine. You have to port your application. So now you end up with two applications, right? So, so we kind of see that we, what we do is sort of like inverse federation mm -hmm. so that instead of uh, running queries and always pulling data from the silos into into the you know some engine for, from processing, we offload data. We sync it right when it's born. We will sync everything to the Hadoop data lake or data hub, if you will. And um, and and when now when you run queries, we will push this query down to Hadoop where all the data resides. So whatever data sets you need to join, for example, uh, they are they have all been or most of them have been synced to this scalable backend, and the join happens there. The heavy lifting happens 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 there, and you just get the results back. Uh, to your database. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think going back to the point about um, not having to change the application code, that is the thing, isn't it? So a lot of data warehouse projects I've seen that offloaded to Hadoop, the issue then is changing all your ETL code, changing all your kind of like your, your kind of query code. And that's not even get tackling anything to do with, say, OLTP and that sort of thing, where those applications, you just can't rewrite them really to do that. I mean, so, so who, who do you see within an organization then? Who do you see, who is your customer? Who typically are the people that get value from this? And you know, who, who do you typically have conversations with then in, in kind of where you're getting, start to get traction with this in companies? Yeah, the, the, the first part is kind of easy that, uh, uh, you know, the, the initial use case for our product was cost saving, mm. cost avoidance or cost saving, right? Yeah. And that goes all the way up to CFO, right? In some cases, right? So, uh, but often we talk to application owners uh, uh, where, uh, you know, they just wanna. They don't wanna buy another rack of some uh, some traditional storage array, uh, mm -hmm. or or another rack of uh, rack of some Teradata or Oracle. Uh, they're done with that, right? So um, uh, so it's it's a cost avoidance for uh, you know, basically application owners. Right? Mm -hmm. So uh, and and often our, our our discussion because of my own background as well, the discussion often starts from DBAs, right? Yeah. So we see that hey, there's yeah. a cool technology, and, and we know the guys who they, they seem to know what they're doing, and then we just move up there, right? And then other business units, application yeah. owners hear about what we just did, and then they come come to us. Uh, so the cost saving, cost avoidance, and uh, and and the second uh, second like second angle we already are um, taking is is uh, is um, again um, I mentioned like uh, sometimes uh, you have an application you have a business unit owner who has a constellation of, of application a constellation of related applications right and and uh, 
usually when we get in front of their architects, they have the aha moment that, hey, we could simplify our lives so much. We don't have to build so many data feeds. Mm -hmm. uh, accessing data, accessing data, you know, um, data is born in one application or it comes in via some feed. And if some other app needs to access it, previously it took, uh, I don't know, uh, two months to provision some additional servers and another four months to build some ETL and mm -hmm. take data from one silo and put it you know, into another silo. And then you could continue with your business project, right? So, so um, with Gluent, the architects often have this aha moment that, hey, if we sync all the data to the data hub, not only not only will we will we make our databases smaller and cut cost. Mm. In addition to that, the time to market for well, this is yeah, this is the interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, I think I think going beyond what you're saying there. I mean, we're talking. We, you know, imagine the conversations you've had at the start are with DBAs. They're with people who who know the value of Hadoop and they know kind of how hard it is to connect these things together. But really, your market for this goes well beyond that, and it's actually companies who have to compete with the likes of Netflix and with Airbnb and all these companies here. I mean, tell us a bit your thinking around that. I mean, why, why, why is this a bigger, bigger thing than just kind of, I suppose, in a way, connecting kind of Oracle to Hadoop, really? Yeah, so, the, I mean, maybe this is the first, you know, I listed you two main, uh, yeah. uh, you know, targets, uh, you know, who, who are interested in, in, in our solution. But the third one really is, which, which should resonate with, uh, with sea levels and, uh, and so on, is... Uh, is um, basically the, the 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 sexy keyword or uh, the buzzword is digital transformation, yeah. right? And uh, and you have companies like you know not to mention Google, but Netflix and and Ubers and so on, who are uh, what's called digital native mm. and, and cloud native, thanks to that as well. So that they 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 are used to doing things really fast. You go to Uber, and if somebody tells you that it takes two months to provision a server mm. instead of two minutes, I mean, I think mm. you know somebody will get fired, right? Mm. So. And that's the difference. So uh, um, it's, you know, companies uh, who use Hadoop only for cost saving reason, uh, you know, who migrate or replatform from Teradata or Hadoop for cost saving, they're only getting a fraction of, of what, this, what this data lake concept and data hub concept, uh, concept can give you. Uh, so, um, and it's all about speed of action. It's all about mm -hmm. time to market, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then how, how we put it is that, uh, if you have a you know big company, they have tens of thousands of apps and databases, right? Mm. So it's, these are the biggest ones. Mid-sized companies may have a thousand apps, right? So these all these apps are there for a separate purpose, you know, mm. managed by different business units. They're there for different reasons. So there are, you have thousands of silos, and often data is born in these silos, mm. right? And it will continue to do so because there are different apps, mm. you know, different requirements, different. Uh, um, code base and so on. So fast forward like 20 years, you will still have a thousand silos, right? Mm. Most of them may reside in cloud and uh, maybe are, are, are like SaaS services, but you still have a lot of silos, right? So because of business reasons, right? So there's there's no single vendor, single cloud vendor who suddenly takes over everything you do in your company. So you have these silos where data is born, right? And and uh, but in order to compete and you have you have things like customer 360 and so mm. on, right? So you have to actually have access to all your data. Right, so, and how do old school companies do it today? If you wanna have access to this extra data source in some other business unit, it's gonna take like nine months to get mm. access, right? Three months for servers, three months for you know Informatica installation or whatever, and then people build an ETL pipeline, mm. whatever, and, and, mm. then, and nine months later, we might see results and actually continue. You go to Uber, that will take like three minutes, right? Mm. So, you know, 
I don't know if they have governance in place. I, I hope they have. You know, you got to go to you call somebody, you ask access to this data set, and you're gonna you can have it, right? So so what Gluent aims to do in in long term, we already have begun begun this is uh, is we want to connect all data to all applications. Hmm. So that whatever data applications you deploy on whatever platform, is it NoSQL or relational databases, by default, all this data that's ever born in this in this silos, uh, it's by default accessible to anybody else in the company with right permissions, hmm. right, of course. So if somebody wakes up at, on, on, a, on a Monday morning and says that, hey, I want to enhance my customer 360 view with this data from Tokyo, then it's just a matter of running a SQL query. Mm. You know, it's just a matter of adding one more query or adding one more virtual table into mm. your report SQL, for example. Mm. And maybe the first time you run it, you will, you will get an error because you don't have the permissions. Then you make a phone call, and five minutes later, you have that you can query this data. And thanks to Gluent's data virtualization, there is no ETL development, there is no data loading, there is no pipeline building. It's just a query. And we will pull the data in from where needed, we will cache it in Hadoop, and we will also push down heavy lifting. Right. Okay, so this this cash in Hadoop, I mean, from my background of <clears throat> BI and data warehousing, that makes a very interesting kind of base on which to do some very interesting analytics. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on you know going beyond just creating that kind of layer, and and this being useful to people for say machine learning and and things like that? I mean, what what any any ideas on that at all? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, I think it's uh, maybe how I can explain this is uh, is uh, let's say uh, you have data scientists in mm. the in the company and. Uh, and um, and you know there's plenty of research and uh, uh, analysis done on, on where do data scientists spend their data on. Mm. and uh, and like you know de depending on the report some say seventy percent some say ninety percent that that most of their time data scientists they don't spend on the science part they mm. actually spend it on data plumbing mm. getting the, getting access to the data getting this into into wherever you want to analyze it getting it into right format and data cleansing and all this mm. stuff as well so. Uh, data cleansing is less of an issue when the data source is a relational database because that database, you know, takes care mm. of the integrity of data. You don't have like missing fields and stuff like mm. that. So, uh, so uh, or, or garbage data, whatever, right? But everything else takes time, right? So, and and where Gluent comes in is that with Gluent, we will sync your your data from all these silos to this scalable backend like Hadoop. So the mm -hmm. data will be there. It will be in a familiar format. It will be in, on the, in the same uh, data model as mm -hmm. on the source system. So, so you can actually start querying this data right away. So you can actually start, you know, uh, um, start, start analyzing the data as you want from day one, as opposed to spending three months getting access to the data and getting mm -hmm. it into the right format. So you can focus on the science part. And the same thing with the, with machine learning now is um, is. Uh, is again, in order to do efficient machine learning, you actually have to have access to this data, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and what Gluent does right now is, again, we will make sure that all the data is, all the data you need is synced to Hadoop and, uh, and kept in sync. And, um, and later on, when you, when you do this machine learning, you build some sort of a pipeline which, which does some event enrichment, per, mm -hmm. per, perhaps. You can consume this enriched data while mm -hmm. Gluent again. Mm -hmm. so, in order to uh, enhance your application with, with machine learned data, uh, with Gluent, how it looks like is that you will only have a few more tables showing up in your database, right? So your data is synced to Hadoop, your machine learning, I don't know, your Spark ML or whatever, TensorSpark, whatever you run, mm -hmm. 
that will obviously ha happen in, in Hadoop. You will you will have to write your your magic code, of course, but the results of this data will be consumable by the same API as your application already does okay. uses, right? So you 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 just add one more table in your report, right? So, so you, you, you posted a link <clears throat> on Twitter a while ago, which I thought was interesting, which was the Google uh, Goods project. Uh, and, and it was, if anyone didn't read it, the idea is that Google, you know, Google have recognized you know, more early than anybody else that part of the challenge with having big data lakes of, of data is understanding the meaning, the semantic meaning, the kind of, the, the kind of table structures and so on. Any thoughts, I mean, this is looking at the future really now, but any thoughts on how we could make it easier for people to kind of understand the schemas coming in, if they are floating it from, say, EBS, we can introspect stuff at all. Any, any thoughts on how we might make that process a bit easier and more automatic, really? Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, that's an interesting topic, that right after this data plumbing, right, yeah. so that now that you have a sync data from a 1,000 databases you had you, I mean, we actually have one customer who said that they have 25,000 databases. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they, if they add all the columns together, it's a billion columns or something yeah. like that. So how, can we, how can we speed up the kind of the onboarding of that data and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and uh, so and this is actually where our angle is. Um, it's uh, I don't know. I can say it's unique, but it sure is nice because what we do right now is we sync data from relational databases. We, we sync structured data mm. to this to this backend, right? So uh, so. Um, uh, with unstructured data, you immediately have the problem of data cleansing and mm -hmm. garbage. You don't know what it, what is where, mm -hmm. you know what data it is, without this very extensive cataloging, right? So with with relational data, with the structured data syncing, it's a bit easier, right? So, uh, so, um, so I guess the most fundamental thing to say is that as of today, we just sync your data yeah. to Hadoop exactly as it is in the source system. So if the developer is familiar with the Siebel schema mm. or, or EBS, then you know they will see exactly familiar mm. schema on Hadoop as well. And some reports, some analytics, you might actually run directly on Hadoop, mm. right? So if uh, if you want to write new stuff, right? Uh, so um, but uh, looking looking towards into future, then um, the immediate next thing, uh, what to do on the data plumbing on this thousand databases is semi-automated data integration, mm -hmm. right? So, and then the, I guess how you visualize this is mm -hmm. if you have a data scientist who now logs into Hadoop uh, or logs into this, um, you know, data lake analysis platform somehow, and uh, and now they want to drag and drop things around uh, to, mm -hmm. to build, a, build a report, right? So when they drag a customer from Siebel to a revenue number on, on EBS, right? So then, Somehow we need to figure out how you join these data sets together, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and um, um, so I'm not going to go too much into details, but mm -hmm. we have some plans for doing uh, machine learning assisted human in the loop, okay. semi-automated data integration. Okay, okay. So so that's all kind of good. I and mean, we're looking again, looking into the future now. Is cloud going to make all of this kind of like effectively an irrelevant conversation? So, you know, obviously you're talking about linking Hadoop to, to Oracle, for example. But if we you look at a project I'm working on at the moment or a customer I'm working with, it's all kind of Google BigQuery and, and, and so on. Where, what, what relevance do you see Gluent having in the future when customers start moving workloads to the cloud? And it's less about Hadoop then, and it's more about kind of data sitting in the cloud. Where, where does Gluent sort of fit in there? And what's your vision around that sort of area? Yeah. Yeah. So, so implementation-wise, um, before we go to vision, so implementation-wise, in some sense, we don't care where the data is, right? So, uh, you know, we we offload data to a powerful backend which yeah. is accessible via SQL, right? Yeah. And the, the first choice was was uh, was Hadoop, but this Hadoop can be in in-house mm. or on-prem, or it can be in the cloud, mm. or obviously the next step from there is that 
maybe you don't even need Hadoop mm. there because you have Google BigQuery or uh, as I said in the beginning, uh, Amazon just announced uh, something called Athena, mm. which is somewhat like Google BigQuery, which allows you to run SQL on, on Amazon S3 objects. Um, so you might even not want to run a Hadoop cluster um, if, if you don't need all the sophistication and flexibility in there. So implementation-wise, we will support a cloud backend as well, because after all, we just sync data there and we run SQL, we push down SQL to get it back. So it's almost, um, there is, and, and the cool thing is that the customers, mm -hmm. the front end, the Oracle or SQL Server database, will not even know a difference, mm -hmm. because we will translate whatever needs to be translated mm -hmm. uh, you know, in this, in this uh, virtualization layer. So, um, so implementation-wise, there, no, uh, uh, there is almost no difference for, for Gluent. But more um, looking into future and strategically, then uh, um, you know what may happen is that instead of having uh, like this one data lake in house or mm -hmm. a few of them, and instead of having a thousand databases in house, you customers start using cloud services, mm -hmm. right? So you have BigQuery as the backend, and also um, some of the databases you will migrate to Amazon RDS or Amazon. Uh, uh, you know, Aurora, you know, mm. these are the, the, mm. the new new database engines. Um, so, uh, and another thing is that some of more of your applications become SaaS applications, right? So, that you used to have Siebel installed in some database in-house on a local EMC storage area, mm. but now when you use Salesforce, you know, you only have a web API where you log into, mm. right? So, and the data is born there. You know, people type in stuff there. Mm. So data is, bo is born in a Salesforce app. You don't have access to Salesforce uh, database, but you you can do extracts. Mm. You can do real-time feeds. <clears throat> and I think this is where the, what the future will be about, so that uh, there will be no single cloud. The future will be also fragmented. Just like today, you have Oracle in-house, SQL Server, you have eBusiness Suite for this vendor and uh, SAP and so on. Uh, 10 years in the future, you have you know, you will still have Salesforce, you have Workday, you have, uh, you are using services by other vendors who don't even exist yet. Mm -hmm. And then you have your, your cloud environment and you probably will use Google Cloud for some things and Amazon Cloud for the other things just for vendor management reasons and, you mm -hmm. know, competition reasons. <clears throat> and you still have some old things ticking away, some mainframe in-house, right? So, so um, even if 90% if of your stuff is in the cloud, I think it's going to be uh, a handful of cloud infrastructure vendors and you will probably have like 50 or 100 SaaS vendors. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. I mean, is, <coughs> excuse me, is there, is there a plan to kind of to, to run Gluent as a cloud service at some point then really? Because I mean, that would be the logical progression really, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, and and uh, yeah. So basically data as a service. Yeah. Right? So and, and uh, so uh, it's on our roadmap. I'm not going to tell you when. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I'll announce it for you. Like, anyway. <laughs> yeah. You will, you will it like a day before. <laughs> Um, and I think how, how you look at it is that uh, right now, you know, like Salesforce force is growing really fast and uh, Salesforce is not about CRM only anymore, right? They have their own machine learning services. They have their own analytics engines mm. and stuff like that. And you can actually upload, push your in-house data to Salesforce and integrate it all there, right? But uh, I, don't, I think it's uh, somewhat utopia that all your data, all your analytics goes to Salesforce because it's a single vendor. Mm. I mean, mm. all companies have their own needs. So... I think there is always a, I can't even call a niche, but because niche is too small. I think there is always a big need for a general purpose uh, processing platform, you know, cloud platform, where you can put whatever you want in there and you can run any analytics you want in there. So yeah. no single vendor like Salesforce or Oracle or SAP 
can handle everything you need. No, and a vendor like Salesforce would always have its analytics strategy aligned with kind of Salesforce. So they're looking to add analytics to their tools, to their products and so on. Not a general thing like you're looking to do, really. Yes. I mean, yeah. so you mentioned data as a service there. I mean, I think, what, what's your views on that? I mean, I would have thought that some kind of link out to various kind of DAS services or even vendors like, well, I'm working with now, Qubit, you know, where they have kind of, you know, actual kind of, pools of, of e-commerce kind of click data and so on there. I mean, any thoughts on, on, on data as a service as a kind of an area as well to link to maybe? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, like we, we all, when we talk about, you know, there are different vendors who's, who talk about data as a service and some, yeah. some vendors are actually information services, right? Yes. They will yes. provide you stock data and, you know, yes. like events from the real world, whatever. So we, we really are not thinking about that. No, but so, you could certainly have deals with them, couldn't you, where you kind of bring in the data maybe, that sort of yeah. thing, or, make it, or at, least, at least create connectors to those sort of services. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and, and, what, and, and what I'm having in mind for data as a service is really, it's kind of an extension of, of what we already are doing. But again, you think all... You have a big enterprise uh, with uh, 5,000 databases. As data is born in there, you will sync that to the cloud. Also, you have feeds coming from Salesforce and Workday and so on. You will sync these to the cloud as well. And this cloud environment is under your control. It's not a, a Salesforce or some vendor who controls what can be done, right? So it's still a general purpose, uh, general purpose um, uh, data storage and processing platform. And where, where Gluen now comes in is, is that... Uh, um, we, I mean, we know that if you have 5,000 applications built on existing relational databases, mm. like mostly they are still relational databases, um, if you want to transform your company fast and be able to use any data anywhere, you know, and then can do it quickly, um, it cannot be an exercise that, hey, let's rewrite all these 5,000 apps and add some REST capabilities in them or whatever. So the Gluence idea, idea is, you know, that's where the, data virtualization comes in is that on all these databases, you will have virtual tables. So whatever data you want to consume as a service, as a stream maybe, or, or just run reports, this will show up in your existing database as an existing familiar table, right? So so you don't have to kind of re-engineer all your 5,000 apps, right? So, so I think the Gluent's magic is that, yes, you have data in the service, data as a service in the cloud, but we will actually connect it all the way to the last mile. You know, like in tel telecom, you have the mm. term last mile network mm. that, you know, from the, uh, from the you know, uh, center of the village to, the, to your house, right? So mm. whoever mm. controls the last mile network, that is in the position to, to, to say how things will work, right? Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so I'm conscious of it's actually, what is it now? It's uh, almost three o'clock. So we're due to speak actually soon. Um, so Tanel, what, what, when are you speaking this week? Really? What presentations are you doing? And how do people find out a bit more about kind of Gluent as well if, while, while you're here? Yeah, so about Gluent, just go to gluent.com. Mm. We will announce the website tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, in Tanel's time, in Mark's time, it's yes. yesterday. Uh, so if you go to gluent.com, uh, you know, you have plenty of info there. Navigate around. We have white papers uh, about the platform and the, about the advisor and, and so on. And, you know, you can get in touch. Uh, just Google my blog at tanelmodder.com and you can send me an email as well. Um, but regarding uh, the UK OUG presentations, uh, it's a mix, you know, I have my Gluent hat on, so yeah. I will, on Wednesday I will talk about extending Oracle data warehouses with Hadoop, where I will talk about both offloading for cost reasons, but also big data blending, you know, augmenting your existing analytic environment with big data without having to reverse, uh, re-engineer re everything. And, uh, and because of my, my own background of the last 25 or 20 years, uh, mm -hmm. 
on Monday I will talk about Linux performance tools. Excellent, uh, excellent. Just having fun as well. And yeah. today we'll uh, in an hour we will talk about uh, in-memory in processing for databases. So um, all interesting topics. But on Wednesday it's going to be. Uh, I think if your podcast goes live on Tuesday, yeah, you know, yeah. people hear about it. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm on the same time as you actually today, so I think it's like Oasis versus Blur today, with in terms of the uh, the, the kind of two at the same time. Um, <clears throat> so, Tanel, thank you very much. It's been fantastic speaking to you. Um, <clears throat> as Tanel said, the website uh, is gluent.com and the white paper is there, and so on and so forth. Um, other than that, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much, Mark. Cheers.